Tuzman and you're on equal footing. We're going to be talking about in these important days in the Jewish faith between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, days of reflection, days of internal accounting, days of being honest with ourselves about the impact that we're having in the community around us, our loved ones, but also the broader community, the earth. We're going to talk about environmental ethics and religion. We're going to talk about the concept of God and earth, both from a Jewish perspective and from a Christian perspective. And I think our guests will be able to also reflect on other religious perspectives to some degree. There's this strange tension between religious communities and environmental protection. And we're going to get to some of those stats. You'd think it'd be the other way around. You'd think that people that self-qualify as religious would be particularly attentive to protecting our earth, but the stats show differently. So we're going to get into that now with our esteemed guests. I want to introduce, on the one hand, Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Dr. Sleeth is a former emergency room physician and chief of the hospital medical staff, and Fascinatingly, the story is really interesting and I think quite unique. He resigned from his position as a medical doctor to teach, preach, and write about faith and the environment. Dr. Sleeth has spoken at more than 1,000 churches, university campuses, and events, including serving, serving as a monthly guest preacher at the Washington National Cathedral, which is quite an honor. Dr. Sleeth has been recognized by Newsweek as one of the nation's most influential Christian leaders. He's the executive director of Blessed Earth. You can check it out on social media and Instagram and elsewhere, Blessed Earth. And Dr. Sleeth is the author of Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us, as well as numerous other articles and books. Dr. Sleeth lives in Lexington, Kentucky, with his wife Nancy, who's been with for 40 years, which is beautiful. So he's joining us by phone this evening. Dr. Sleeth, welcome to Equal Footing. Great to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. Now, thanks for joining. I'm honored also to be joined by Rabbi Barry Kornblau. And Rabbi Kornblau has served as a rabbi of Orthodox congregations since 2001. And for a dozen years, he served on the rabbinical staff of the Rabbinical Council of America, the RCA. Many of our listeners are aware that the RCA is one of the most respected rabbinates in the world and one of two major Orthodox rabbinates here in the United States. We've talked about the RCA before on this show. Rabbi Kornblau has worked for Kanfei Nesharim and its successor, Grow Torah, educating Orthodox Jews about environmental issues from Torah, as well as from scientific perspectives. Rabbi Kornblau is married to Dina, who is a pediatric neurologist who practices in the Bronx, New York, and particularly grateful to Rabbi Kornblau for joining us, because I know he's got a move going on, and we're between here, the high holidays. It's a very busy period. And uh, together, uh, Rabbi Kornblau and his wife, Dina, are blessed with five children, including a set of twins. So, Rabbi Kornblau, Dr. Sleeth, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you so much for that uh, greeting. Pleasure to be here. 
Let's get into a couple of the stats right off the bat to give our listeners a little bit of context. And without having a bias on the issue, just to walk you through what people that self-identify as very religious feel about the environment. And the best stats are available to us here in the United States, both because my limitation of research and language, and also because there actually has been quite a bit of research on this issue. The Pew uh, Research Organization, which many of our listeners know I like to refer to because it's a non-biased, non-political research center. You can find their information at pewforum.org. That's pwforum.org. Their religious landscape study that they've been doing for decades has tracked the way that religious people, Christian evangelists, Orthodox Jews, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, very religious Muslims, etc., view the environment. And on average... The average American, around a quarter, around one out of four Americans, will say that stricter environmental laws and regulations cost too many jobs. They're not worth it. They hurt the economy. Whereas three quarters of the United States, putting aside any qualification of religiosity, believe stricter environmental laws and regulations are most often worth the cost. Okay, so three quarters of the general American public believes in general that environmental protection laws are worth the cost. However, if you drill down to religious identification, over 50 percent of evangelical Protestants do not believe that they feel stricter environmental laws are not worth the cost. They cost too many jobs, hurt the economy, and they don't believe they're worth the cost. Fifty three percent of Mormons feel that way. A shockingly high 67% of Orthodox Jews feel that environmental protection laws are not worth the cost and hurt the economy. Let's look at this. Let's drill down a little further. The Scientific American recently reported on a multi-decade study that was done in in collaboration with the Gallup polling organization and tracked self-identified evangelical Christians and their view of the environment. And while we've had a general consensus building around climate change uh, over the last several decades, around an increase in ambient temperatures and a change in uh, ecology, in the evangelical Christian community, the concern around the environment, around climate change and environmental protection has gone down It's gone down over the last 40 years. It's the only cohort that was studied. And to be fair, this, this organization, it doesn't, in this particular study, didn't seem they were focused on the Orthodox Jewish community, possibly too small demographically. But it was the only cohort that was studied in any age group, by gender, urban versus rural, part of the country versus another. It was the only cohort over the last 40 years where in aggregate concern around climate change and environmental protection has gone down. All right. Dr. Sleek, on that note, help us understand this. How is it possible as an environmental ethicist and as evangelical Christian that in the community, and I'm not asking either you or Rebbe Kornblatt to represent your religious faiths. You're giving a perspective from within that faith, but it's not fair to ask you to represent. But what's your perspective personally on this, what seems to be from the outside, a dichotomy of religiosity and yet, I don't want to say disregard, but lack of concern for climate change in the environment. 
Wow. If if I could, if I knew the answer uh, to that completely, I would write it in a book and have a desk bestseller. I think tomorrow morning. Um, in, in, in other words, I, I don't think there's a simple answer to that. Um, but I think that um, what what has happened um, is is there has been a dichotomy that that didn't exist. You know the the um, uh, the most environmental president by uh, legislation and you know real results was Richard Nixon and that le- the Clean Air Act, uh, Clean Water Act, EPA all came into uh, existence then and and it was really bipartisan um, in in getting there and since that time I think there's really you know it, it, the, the split has become. Um, wider and wider. And, and to and, listeners who um, may not be aware, Richard Nixon was a conservative Republican. He was in presidency in the, in the early 1970s, up to the mid 70s, and and was uh, from kind of it was it was pretty well backed by the evangelical community. So you're saying that's the last time there was more coalescence in those views. Yes, and I think that um, what uh, you know, if you could. Get inside the average head of, and, and, and here it's, you know, I, I'm uh, speaking out of term because none of us can get inside the head of somebody else, but um, that the environment got bundled with a bunch of other things that were simply unacceptable to uh, evangelical Christians. And, um, it, you know, so... Um, it, it, I, I would love to see it kind of separated and go a la carte, if you will, um, from lots of other issues, but that's no longer the case. And um, one of those issues um, is whether or not God exists. And so if you open a conversation with somebody that that's one of the major um, uh, points of their life, um, and and you say, God doesn't exist, and now let me tell you why you should believe what I believe about the environment. You, you're just not going to get very far because you have discounted the most important thing in that person's life. Right, they kind of can't so hear think, the rest of what you're going to say. Right, right. Rabbi Cornball, you, so think, you, you've talked about this concept of bundling before in some of our pregame conversations, and I'm, and I'm sorry, Dr. Sleet, to interrupt you there. What, what's going on? Explain to the layman. You know, is, is this also happening in the Jewish community? And, and what is this kind of alignment of bundling of conservative values? Um, so I, um, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, I need to be very careful that the word Jewish community and Orthodox Jewish community themselves be disentangled. The vast majority of American Jews are not Orthodox Jews. They are not affiliated at all, actually. And among those who are affiliated, uh, they are affiliated with non-Orthodox movements. Uh, Among those Jews, uh, there's a widespread embrace of the need to care for the environment. And um, that's not really a very controversial position overall from the perspective uh, of of those individuals. I'm speaking from inside the world of Orthodox Jewry, which is a uh, um, which is itself a very diverse world, um, but uh, broadly speaking, is a is a small minority of American Jewry and indeed even of world Jewry. Um, and so, I want to just be clear on 
the, the terminology and the language that we use. And Rabbi Kahn, um, that's 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 well understood and well articulated. And in that specific community of Orthodox Jews, at least as in the United States, as elucidated by that Pew Research Center study, two out of three of self-identified Orthodox Jews in the United States believe that environmental protection is not worth it. A, a figure that's higher than any other demographic cohort. Talk to us about that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that there's, um, as Dr. Smith alluded to, uh, a whole lot of moving parts here. Um, some of them, I believe, are, how shall we say, uh, generic, um, generic in the following sense, that they don't pertain particularly to Orthodox Jews, but they pertain to people, uh, a certain slice of American conservative politics, um, which has adopted a series of views, including about the environment and so on. And to the extent that, for a variety of reasons, um, many Orthodox Jews um, affiliate that way politically, therefore they have, um, uh, they have those views as well. It comes as a package deal. I don't mean to speak in a denigrating way about that. I believe those views are sincerely held. I'm saying that to the extent that it's a, a political affiliation, so I don't consider that to be particularly, an, shall we say, an Orthodox Jewish problem. That becomes a question of why are Orthodox Jews affiliated politically the way they are. Right. And some of those values we're talking about, like freedom of religious expression, religious education, uh, abortion-related laws, and so forth, where there's actually quite a bit of commonality in the evangelical Christian movement and the Orthodox Jewish movement. Well, it's not our topic right here, but um, I, I would agree with some of those first two points. I'm not sure about abortion. I think there's a very large gap there, but that's not our topic today, a different topic for a different time. I would mention that in the context uh, of the Orthodox Jewish community, the issue of um, uh, Israel and, and the perceptions uh, of uh, anti-Semitism, those things are very real, and um I, I may or may not agree with how my, my co-religionists perceive those things in the context of the major political parties in the United States, but those are big drivers of uh, that political affiliation as well. We're going to take our first break. We're talking about God and Earth, this strange tension that exists in the United States, at least, between religious communities and environmental protection, environmental activism. I'm very grateful to our guests, Rabbi Barry Kornblau and Dr. Matthew Sleeth, Orthodox rabbi and evangelical Christian uh, speaker and thinker, respectively, talking very frankly here about this uh, potential dichotomy or, or potential inconsistency, inconsistency that we'll get into more in a second segment between religious belief, belief in God, and protection of the environment. You can participate in this conversation by dialing 718 303 9090. That's 718-303-9090. As is always the case on Equal Footing, if you're shy about being on the air or you don't want to give your name, you don't have to. You can call in anonymously. You can also text a comment or a question attributed or anonymously to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Mercy, mercy, me, 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 me
All right, let's talk about DocuVax for a moment. DocuVax has been a sponsor for Equal Footing for a long time. It's a wonderful program. It's a digital medical locker that's accessible to you privately on your laptop or your smartphone. It's available at the website, DocuVax.com. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. Or on the iOS or Android app platforms, DocuVax. It allows you to safely store and validate all of your basic medical information, including your immunization records, your lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. You know, this medical information belongs to you. There's a lot of debate now that there are government programs that require you to provide proof of vaccination and so forth, or maybe you have to do so through to a school. You can do so and still maintain your privacy. You don't have to do so through your, through the government. Your medical records belong to you. They don't even belong to your doctor. They certainly don't belong to your insurance company. But most Americans have that information scattered on different devices or in paper form or don't even understand important elements of their medical profile. So use DocuVax. Organize over 60 different elements of your basic medical profile. From COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast breast cancer screenings, even blood type and allergy information. It's very affordable. At DocuVax.com or on the DocuVax apps, you can sign up for as little as $6.99 per month. You can also call and sign up. And if you're a small or medium-sized business owner or a school administrator or head of family and you want to sponsor various members to join DocuVax, each of whom maintain their privacy, you can also call and get a group discount, 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. Mention you heard about it on Equal Footing to get that group discount. And if you're a subscriber to DocuVax, you can privately access all of your medical records from a secure, HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And as a subscriber, and this is the best part, you have medical professionals, doctors and nurses in the United States who are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your medical locker. So take control of your medical file. Sign up at DocuVax. And when you share that information, if you want to share it privately with an employer or a school or a restaurant you're trying to get into or whatever, it uses a proprietary QR code based system that keeps your data secure and doesn't disclose anything you don't want to disclose. So again, DocuVax.com or call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been We're back on equal footing and we're talking about this tension that unfortunately seems to exist between being self-qualified as a religious person, as someone who believes in God and where that's central to your life and the need to protect the environment. Dr. Sleeth, I interrupted you earlier in the first segment and we were talking about the bundling of quote unquote conservative values and kind of what seems to be like an anti-environmental activism position. And one thing that came to mind uh, as I was thinking about that and during the break was that the original environmental movement in the United States, the National Park System that was championed by Teddy Roosevelt that time around the turn of the century, early 
uh, turn of the 19th century, early 20th century, was actually heavily supported by the religious community, the Christian community uh, in the United States. What has happened? How, how did that get un- unbundled, and, 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 and should, it, should that be reset? Um, you're, you're right, and even uh, movements um, like uh, Arbor Day uh, were um, completely uh, started by uh, church groups in Nebraska, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, there's, there's certainly a precedent for that. I think one of the things that might have happened is that um, the, the language of uh, the discussion around environmental issues switch to uh, a scientific level where most people don't operate. Um, your listeners might know what um, how many parts per million there are of CO2 in the air, but if you, um, and I've done this in front of auditoriums with thousands in them, if you say raise your hand if you know how many parts per million uh, there are of nitrogen in the air, meaning the most common element of the air, people look, you know, like, Nipper the RCA dog. They just, and so, um, you know, it doesn't translate well from, uh, necessarily a scientific language into the language of faith. And so that, that's why I've spent so much time trying to explain through the language of faith, uh, to faith communities. Yeah. And I think that's really important on this show. We always try to take the perspective of the other, put our, put our, uh, our feet in the, in their shoes and, Rabbi Kornblau, in that regard, what are the religious reasons for the Orthodox opposition to kind of uh, the the green policies, if we can have some compassion for that position? Um, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll respond with a story uh, to, to, to bolster my point that I was making before the break about the politics. Um, uh, in preparation for this high holiday season of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I spoke with a number of colleagues around the country, encouraging them and providing them with material to speak about the climate on uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, one of the themes of which is the creation of the world and God's providence and kingship over the whole world. And um, <clears throat> after, um, after my encouragement, providing him the sources, one of my colleagues uh, did so, bit the bullet, knowing that he was likely to be walking into some difficulty. And um, it was an enormously uh, differentially received sermon. Uh, of hundreds of people, uh, basically it was older men uh, of conservative political inclination who um, were f- furious that he, that he had ruined their holiday by speaking about uh, the climate, an obviously political topic, and um, uh, large numbers of other people, uh, most notably uh, those of a, a liberal uh, political orientation and, and across the board in general, people who were younger uh, thought it was the most important single sermon that they had ever heard him give. Wow. Um, and Very so, different points of view. I'm sorry? Is it very different points of view? From- the same right. audience. Correct. Right. So, 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 the, so the basic political uh, piece is uh, I don't want to underplay it in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, um, um, there are a lot of internal reasons why uh, my co-religionists, um, in, in their different stripes and perspectives, uh, have hesitancies about uh, environmental concerns. 
Uh, one is very simple. If you think that you that, that God has the has the whole world in His hands, and um, that we pray to Him uh, for His divine intervention and providential uh, guidance of our lives and so on, the stronger your belief is in that, then the weaker uh, then then the, the more powerful God is, the weaker uh, people are, mm-hmm. and um, that. That way of thinking um, <clears throat> tends to denigrate, particularly on things of a very large scale, the idea of of large scale human power. And my re- my response to that, uh, you can see that throughout the entire liturgy of uh, the, the New Year that we just recited, uh, we're constantly appealing to God to take care of us in this way and that way and so on, and it's all up to Him and His mercy. Um, my response to that is that I wholly agree that that is true, um, and um, at the same time, the entire 20th century has told us that um, man also has enormous power uh, through science and through technology. Uh, we're all speaking to uh, to you uh, on on radios and cell phones and electronic connections and satellites and things that never existed, all of these incredible powers that we have of nuclear power and nuclear weapons and uh, all of the rest, we've literally transformed uh, the world. Uh, Our population has grown fantastically, uh, and uh, our demands on the earth are huge. And it's as though our theology and our worldview hasn't caught up with the fact that man, too, is powerful, and that we need to not only look for mercy to God, for God, that he should treat us mercifully and kindly, but that we need to be held accountable for the power that we have individual and collectively and how we do or do not exercise that power in general, and, in, and particularly regarding uh, God's greenness. Dr. Sleeth, is, is there a similarity in Christian circles in resistance to environmental protection? Is it also this concept, well, it's all in God's hands, we don't have agency as man, or is it more complex? Well, I think I think there's some similarities, um, and um, I, for whatever reason, I've been able to get into, um, you know, very conservative churches. I, uh, about six weeks ago, I preached to 30,000 on one Sunday, you know. And and so um, sometimes I like to come at these things from a different angle. Um, I wasn't preaching on uh, climate change then, but if I, I I have gotten up and said, you know, for those of us in the Judeo-Christian um, uh, world, uh, our precedent on climate change is to listen to a guy named Joe who's in jail in Memphis for assault and attempted rape. His father had uh, children by four different women. Uh, his mother traded um, uh, drugs for sex. And that's Joseph in Egypt, and he's got to handle a climate change cycle that's going to last for 14 years. And if you come at it in a, in a different kind of way like that, right. it, it, everything I said is true, and it's right out of, of the Scripture. Um, but it, it kind of uh, shakes people, and they think of things in a different way. And right. if they hold um, Scripture in a very high regard, you can change people's mind. Yeah. You know, t- two things... Uh, spurred this show from my perspective, although our showrunner is fantastic and, and, and made it possible for us even to, to contemplate it. One was as I was contemplating as a, 
traditional uh, Orthodox on some days, <laughs> Jew myself, uh, this period between uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where we're, we're said to be kind of standing in the throne room of the king, standing in front of God, and how many times I've heard Dvar Torahs or sermons about that topic in a very individualized sense, and how little I hear from the pulpit about that from a communal perspective. And I always find it understandable when rabbis don't get into politics in the pulpit, but environmental protection seems like something that is really a, a communal obligation. And when we're doing this internal accounting in the Jewish New Year, as I know is done in other periods and in the Christian faith and in the Catholic faith, like in Lent, for example, you know, why isn't there more attention to this communal obligation that we have and the obligation that we had to, to, uh, to God's, to God's earth. And the other thing that spurred this, and this comes back to your comment, Dr. Sleeth, and I'd like to challenge and understand whether there's been any statement akin to this in the evangelical Christian movement is that only a couple days ago, some September 7th, for the first time ever, did the Roman Catholic Church, through an edict by Pope Francis, make a statement on environmental sustainability? Never. It has never happened in uh, 2,000 years of existence of the church. It happened to be a, a statement that was done in conjunction with the uh, patriarch uh, Bartholomew. I think that's from the Russian Orthodox Church, if I'm not mistaken. The Eastern Orthodox Church. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's Archbishop Justin Welby from the Anglican Communion. And this joint statement of, of global Christian leaders called on the Christian people to to pray for the sake of the earth which with God has given us and talked about that if we about the price that we could pay tomorrow if we don't take action today. I was amazed by that. Uh, has there been a similar statement in the evangelical Christian movement? I'll go to you, Dr. Sleeth, and also in the Orthodox movement. I, I honor you both for, for doing that. I'm wondering if there are any councils or equivalent to a rabbinate or any kind of voice that's, that's, that's coming forward and making that part of, of doctrine. Let's start with you, Dr. Sleeth. Um, there have been, uh, and there have been even from uh, the Vatican uh, uh, previously. I was involved uh, with a publication of the Bible um, with uh, Desmond Tutu and uh, the Vatican and the Pope, and uh, um, the Pope uh, wrote about that. That was 115 years ago, and and so the and the National Association of Evangelicals has made environmental statements, um, so they're out there. They are. And, and Rabbi Kornblau, before we go to the, our second break, has there been some sort of edict uh, or pronouncement by the RCA, for example, the Rabbinical Council of America, that you've been a part of on environmental protection at any point? Um, I'd love to um, answer that question. Would it be okay if I reel back to your question of this time of the year from the perspective of Jews and preaching and so on? Of course. Um, you said that you never uh, heard that sort of a thing. Uh, part of our oral traditions, which accompany our biblical traditions, uh, are recorded in the, in the Mishnah. And uh, right at the beginning of the Mishnah that relates to this time of the year, of Rosh Hashanah, uh, we describe the judgment of this time of year, which is what you are uh, referring to in your comments, as called Ba'e Ha'olam Orim Lefanav Kizneh Maron. Uh, all people of the world pass before God as members of a flock. And um, the broader context of this uh, Mishnah teaching 
is uh, other judgments about the, the natural world, about uh, water, about grain, about uh, tree fruits and things like this. And it struck me that when we're being, when all of humanity is passing before God as a flock, effectively what we're being, what we're being judged as is, are we being a good member of the human flock? Right. Um, and um, that way of thinking is pretty far away from the way most of my Orthodox colleagues think, but yet there it is in the Mishnah. Um, I am quite aware that the Talmud, uh, in commenting on the Mishnah, uh, has different interpretations of that phrase, but the simple meaning of the Mishnah and um, they were being judged uh, as one of the members of the flock of humanity, and um, the verse that's quoted in that um, uh, Mishnah from the 33rd Psalm is in the context of God looking down from heaven, looking at Kol B'nei Ha'adam, Kol Yoshvei Ha'aretz, at Kol Ma'aseh, and he's looking at all of mankind, all the residents of earth, all of the things that they do, and he's evaluating them in that way. And it seems to me that in this era of the pandemic, when we discovered uh, just how intertwined all of us are with one another at the most level, basic level of a covenant of fate, of, of our destiny, of our uh, tied togetherness here in a very physical way on this little slice of earth, that it's um, really an appropriate way to understand that mission. That's, for that's beautiful, and, I, and, I, and that's the reason for doing the show is in part to, to highlight this issue. And when we come back after our, our next break, I'd like to ask you both to take yourselves out of your natural environmental activism shoes and your 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 belief that your co-religionists uh, should you know, pay more attention to uh, the protection of, of of God's earth and accept our agency in that and kind of take the other the other point of view and uh, and 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 really be the true devil's advocate we'll be right back Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. All right, you're back on equal footing, and we're talking about a sensitive subject. We've titled the show God and Earth, this tragic and strange tension that sometimes exists between religious communities and environmental protection. At the, out, at the outset of the hour, we spoke about some of the stats, and it's extraordinary that 
basically the Pew Research Center, Gallup, Scientific American, others that have studied this over a period of decades in the United States have shown that the more self-identified as religious you are in the United States, the less keen you are on environmental protection. So I know that it's tough to ask you this, Dr. Sleeth, because in a certain sense, I know both of you want to get out the message that is the opposite of what I'm about to say. But I think for some of our listeners, it may, be, it may help to really hear you embody the devil's advocacy. So if I would say to you, okay, in Judaism, we call it tikkun olam, the, the concept of like repairing the earth. There's this, I would say to you, Dr. Sleeth, there's this need for us as, as some, as people that identify as religious and as God fearing to also be God's agents and protect our precious planet that was given to us. But Dr. Sleeth, although I suspect you believe what I just said, give me the, give me the cogent opposite point of view from an evangelical perspective. I think that would probably be that there are many people worried about these type of things and very few people that are worried about um, uh, about God and about the relevance of uh, Scripture in our lives and, and that type of thing, and, um, and that that is what we should be concerned about first. And, um, the old and, and I think Caesar, probably, what is Caesar's unto the Lord, what is the Lord's? Exactly, exactly. I think that would probably come up as the number one um, reason not to concern oneself uh, with this. And, and I'll stop there, but I'd like to come back at some point to what I've found in 20 years of doing this has been the most successful at, at breaking through that, that barrier if you will. So, I'll, and I'll, I'll pass now. Go for it, because we heard from Rabbi Kornblau before about the kind of idea of leaving to God as well, you know, kind of believing that there is that, that force majeure and that, you know, as, as, as man, we don't have that level of agency. So go ahead. What's the strongest counter argument to what you just said? The strongest, and, and I have argued scientifically and, uh, you know, kind of my morality and, proof texting in scripture, but the most successful thing that I have, uh, or the thing that I've seen work the most is I wrote a book about trees in scripture, and I doubt that um, too many people, either uh, Jewish or Christian, have really heard a, a sermon um, about trees in scripture, but they are the most uh, mentioned living thing other than, than God and people in scripture. Every major character and every major theologic event in scripture, whether it's Hebrew or Christian, has a tree marking the spot. There's only one exception to that, and that's Joseph, and that's because Joseph is called a tree in, um, in Jacob's blessings. And the Bible refers to itself as a uh, tree of life. It just goes on and on and on. And for whatever reason, when I began to, when I wrote that book and began to adopt that language, I had the only forester in Congress call me, and they introduced the the Trillion Tree Act. I've had senators call me, etc. For whatever reason. Coming at that, um, you know, the first psalm tells us to be like a tree. Uh, it, it, it just, it's from one end of scripture to the other, whether I say it's Hebrew or, or Christian, um, has been disarming, uh, for folks and, and it just mm-hmm. keeps rolling and rolling that along. Helps, I think, and so I think kind sometimes of we, to their belief. 
And what politics does a tree have? You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to take and a couple frankly, of gonna, listeners' yeah. comments and questions. We've got some really interesting ones, and also has been a patient caller on, on line three. To your point just now, Dr. Sleeth, uh, we had a listener that, that quotes Isaiah. I'm not saying this quote is correct. I'm just reading from the, from the text that quotes Isaiah 11.9 that says, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, is that is that also a, a scriptural reference that that you've used in your kind of logical defense of environmental protection? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, scripture says uh, in in both versions, uh, Jewish and Christian, if you will, um, that when the Lord comes back to judge the earth, the humans hide in caves. We're scared to death of what's um, you know we're going to trees. Color shout for joy. For once, there's an honest judge on the bench, and they know how the the verdict is going to go down. So that's that's just universal across. So here, here's one for you, Rabbi Kornblad. That another. This is this is neat. We got two different listeners that have that are that are quoting different aspects of the uh, of, of biblical scripture. This comes from uh, the Torah, from Genesis two fifteen, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, so, it, do you, do you find yourself, Rabbi Kornblau, in, in the way in the way that Doctor Sleeth does, kind of referring to Torah in your in in helping to convince co-religionists to be more aware of the need to protect the environment? One hundred percent. There's a counterverse in uh, chapter one of Genesis, which is that man should fill the earth and uh, conquer it, right. and um, and um, my response to that verse at this point, uh, with uh, so many billions of people uh, on the planet and uh, the battle between, shall we say, man and uh, nature having taken place over the past 200 centuries is that we won. We are Yosei. We fulfilled our obligation. We, fulfilled we did earth. that one. We did that mitzvah. Been, been there, done that. Thank you very much. <laughs> And um, we now need to, this year is the beginning of a sabbatical year, a Shemitah year, and the gist of that year is to the Shabtah Haaretz, let the lands rest, and we need to do that not only uh, in the formal halakha, uh, Jewish law sense in the land of Israel this coming year, laws that apply to farmers and the produce which comes from it, but more broadly we need to extend that ethic and way of thinking uh, to the earth as a whole. Um, it's hard to overstate how central the, the, the laws of sabbatical year are and the severity with which um, uh, God treats their violation. Indeed, the 70 years of our Babylonian exile are uh, connected to 70 years of uh, failed uh, Shemitah sabbatical year observance. We didn't we, let we've, op- rest, we've opened but, up but, like a uh, positive Pandora's box on these scriptural references because another listener just wrote one in, uh, Dr. Sleeth, obviously more appropriate to you, from Revelation 7.3. I get a little lost when it comes to the Christian Bible, so please forgive me. It says... Uh, do, again, I can't say these are being quoted correctly. I'm just reading from the notes that I'm getting. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of, of our God on their foreheads. So I want to take a patient caller on line three. Let's see if I can do this without disconnecting. Line three, you're on the air. Good evening and Happy New Year. Stan, Shanatova. Always a pleasure. You know, you're, you're fantastic. Great to talk to you. Gentlemen, rabbis. You seem to, it's always, they seem to miss something when I call. 
Tell us. You seem to miss the most obvious. Someone spoke to Noah in his ear and said, you know, I'm going to use the environment to destroy this world because I can't take it. I'm going to flood this planet. Moses heard the same thing when he was leaving Egypt, and God said, I will sink in the Egyptians in the water with the floods and so forth. So let's be somewhat realistic if it's true that the divine God does use the environment to kill and has used it in his own benefit and the benefit, so-called, of the Jewish people, and in other instances as well, to destroy the environment today. Can, and I'll ask you, is yeah, what's, what's the question being then? looking to, is that what's going on today? I see. So you, are you saying that maybe maybe the environment is an agency, that environmental degradation and floods and storms and all these things are, are earthquakes that are, are an agency of, of God's will we shouldn't get in the way if of? If it is, he's not speaking to us and telling us as he did to Moses and to Noah, but it could be. I wonder what their opinion is. Dr. Sleeth, is that something you hear sometimes? Well, you know what? If, the, if, if, if things are coming to an end, if we're getting bad environmental cycles and tidal waves and earthquakes, that's God's will. God's will. We shouldn't get in the way. I have not heard that. Um, I generally hear the, um, uh, the opposite, that God will protect us. However, as your uh, uh, person who's called in has said, God does use um, the environment to reinforce lessons and to punish for sin and, and that type of thing. And um, to assume that the environment is getting worse as a result of our sin is, is absolutely scriptural. Um, uh, so I, I think that, um, that 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 is something that should be considered. I think it's a really interesting point that the caller, Stan, and thank you for that call, Stan brings up. Rabbi Kornblad, you know, I know in the story of Noah, the, the, in, in, in the Bible, you know, with the construction of the ark, I mean, clearly every everybody else is... You know, perishes at that at that moment, other than the, the animals that are that are protected, and it it seems like in some degree, to some extent, one could. It seems a logical argument that you know there come there come points where the earth is flooded or um, the environment is not protected. It's not our job to do that. That whole thing is you know part of God's will. Um. Regarding the Noah argument, uh, inside uh, Orthodox uh, writings about this, uh, generally the Noah argument is turned uh, against caring for the environment because it would seem from Chapter 9 of Genesis that um, God promises not to bring another flood to the world, and so therefore we can be sure that he's going to protect the world. Uh, I'd like to share, um, uh, I, I, I think that, the, the, the bracha of Zichronot, the blessing of remembrances, which we've just recited uh, on Rosh Hashanah, uh, emphasizes uh, that God uh, indeed uh, uses the natural world um, to signal his pleasure and displeasure, shall we say, with humanity. And I'd like to give perhaps the most forceful uh, expression of that, uh, which I've encountered in all these years, 
from the pen of Rabbi Joseph B. Salavechik, uh, the head uh, rabbi for a half a century at Yeshiva University and uh, the head of the Rabbinical Council of America for all those years. In the 1950s, he wrote uh, an, a series, he gave, delivered a series of lectures which have now been published in a book called The Emergence of Ethical Man. And in it, uh, he talks about uh, the verse that I mentioned about the domination of nature. And he says that, and this is a quote, um, man's domination of nature is not that of an alien autocrat subjugating by force, but that of a loving father over his young son, a devoted son over his incapacitated mother. It's more cooperation than dominion, more partnership than domination. We are ontically one. Man and nature are one together. Let us watch out for moments of tension and conflict when nature begins, begins to hate man and resent his presence. And we will convince ourselves that man's sense of security and strength is nothing but a mirage. Ah, the God's <laughs> wrath stuff. <laughs> That's a great quote. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. We're yeah. talking about God and earth, the relationship, sometimes the tension between religious communities and environmental protection. We'll be right back. All right, let's talk about Manhattan Medical for a moment, a great sponsor of Equal Footing also for a long time. It's a difficult subject to talk about. That's erectile dysfunction, but it's important to address. It affects more than 50% of men at some point in their lifetime, and it isn't something that you have to hide or there's nothing you can do about. There are also different modalities to deal with erectile dysfunction outside of those expensive blue pills. Many people cannot take the medications that exist to solve erectile dysfunction because of other conditions and side effects. Well, there is another option. Manhattan Medical, which is available to you anywhere in the United States. You can do a teleconsult. You can do a Zoom meeting. You don't have to be in the New York area. Manhattan Medical utilizes the new effective gains wave therapy to treat erectile dysfunction, and it can help you achieve amazing results you know all the sponsors on equal footing have you know i feel like there's we've developed a, a close personal relationship and i believe in all the products that are uh, sponsoring our program and manhattan, manhattan medical came to me through a very dear friend who's a business partner and a close friend who's in his 80s and he struggled with erectile dysfunction and affected his um, emotional well-being for a long time and finally he came upon manhattan medical's gains wave therapy and it worked for him and he wanted to pass on the word. It's an important uh, opportunity for those that can't take existing uh, prescription pills to deal with erectile dysfunction. Try Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy. It's non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. No side effects. Call for a consultation. And if you mention Equal Footing, you'll get a free consultation, which is a $250 value. Call 888 888- EDQR9, that's 888-EDQR9, or in numbers, 888-332-8739. Call Manhattan Medical, 888-332-8739. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on to I've been told. Right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm with my wonderful, brave guests, Rabbi Barry Kornblau. Dr. Matthew Sleeth, 
talking about <clears throat> environmental protection, environmental activism in the context of religious life. And as regular listeners know, I don't shy away from the tough questions, whether they come in over the phone lines or in text. I do sometimes have to edit because, you know, we are on the air and subject to uh, regulations as such. I've got to ed- edit this one a bit for content. A listener writes in that this qu- this show seems to be in the theme that we've talked about before of why are religious people, and then there's the word that's spelled A, a couple of letters, and then H-O-L-E-S. So why are religious people, let's say, jerks? And, it, it you know, it's easy to brush this type of thing away, but as someone who self-qualifies as religious, in Judaism, Dr. Sleeth, you may be aware, there's this concept of Hilul Hashem, of kind of reflecting badly on God. And so, for example, it would be why I wouldn't, you know, uh, eat something tray for non-kosher, God forbid, if, if I were like, you know, if, especially if I were wearing a yarmulke. You know, if I would, if I was wearing a kippah, I might lead someone else, worse than my own, uh, transgression is I might lead someone else into do, thinking that that's a play, a restaurant they could eat in, for example. So I often worry about this concept of Hilul Hashem as, as someone who's religious, how we reflect on the rest of our religious community. Do you guys have a similar concept in the evangelical community? Do you sometimes worry like, oh gosh, like I'm sitting on this airplane, this person, you know, knows that I've been evangelical based on whatever I might be reading or the way I'm dressed, I don't even know. But if they, and then they know that, you know, 60% of my co-religionists don't believe in global warming. Uh, it, does that bum you out? Does that, is that reason enough to get active on this issue? It, it does bum me out, but um, the, you know, we don't justify God. He justifies us. And uh, whether that's in Judaism or Christianity, it's it's not by our goodness. That was the mistake of Balaam, um, in in not understanding that that God um, protected the, the Jewish people. Period. Not because of who they were, but because of who God is. And and that that same uh, concept in Christianity is there. Now, do I wish? That everyone reflected God perfectly. That we were um, we were gracious. That we were merciful. That we were honest. Um, that we were just. You know all those all those things that are supposed to roll like a river, as Isaiah says. I I, I wish we did, but um, but we don't. Ultimately, we have to um, point point the finger um, uh, towards God as the ultimate example of what is right and what is just. Yeah, it's, it is a tough row to hoe, you know, that realizing that you might be giving off a certain impression, but the impression because of the way that uh, a general faith-based community sees the world, but also just, you know, needing to soldier forward and <laughs> wearing your kippah or where, you know, just uh, continuing with your, with your practice and, and doing the best that you can. Rabbi Kornblow, we're, we're running out of time, but there's a, a question that is, um, or a comment that I think is is best uh, addressed by you. Uh, a listener writes in that they consider themselves an environmentalist. This is an or- the, the make, they make it clear that they're an Orthodox Jew. They consider themselves environmentalists, but they can't stand other people that call themselves environmentalists. Is there an organization that exists for people like me that I can affiliate with? Um. <clears throat> 
Maybe I can paraphrase. Is there an organization in the Orthodox Jewish world that is green-friendly but very firmly Orthodox, I guess? Mm -hmm. So so first of all, I want to address the premise of the question, and then I want to answer the question. So I don't identify as an environmentalist. I I, I identify um, as, as a rabbi who believes in God and Torah and our oral tradition and everything else that comes along with it. I do think that um, many cultural and theological assumptions have crept in, uh, which are not necessary in any way, shape, or form, uh, to that set of beliefs, and um, that easily support from from within our tradition, care from the environment, from the Talmud, from the uh, from the Mishnah, from the Midrash, from millions of sources, which is not the time and place here. So I just think of myself as a Torah Jew who's paying attention to things in our tradition that others don't. That's um, a fair point. Uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, you put it that so, way. So that's um, so that's that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is um, that a, an, an organization that I would recommend is my old employer. It used to be Kansei Misharim, which was mentioned in the introduction. That entity folded itself uh, into a uh, great new organization called Grow Torah, which is uh, based in TNX, New Jersey. You can find them on the web, and they're doing great. Ju- they're doing great work educating youth and beyond uh, in the nexus between Torah and science, and uh, specifically in an Orthodox Jewish context. And so that's uh, that's the group that I recommend. That's great. I want to thank. You, Dr. Matthew Sleeth, you, Rabbi Perry Kornblau, for being on equal footing and talking about this intersection between environmental protection, environmental protection and religious belief. I think it's brave of you and your respective communities to be talking so openly about it. I want to uh, close by actually going outside of a faith-based, even though I'm going to quote someone who was Jewish, I was also someone that had a very complex relationship with his faith, and that was Albert Einstein. And when Albert Einstein was asked about the really incipient environmental protection movement at the time, he said, the consciousness that creates a problem is not sufficient for solving it. And I think that in that sense, I want you know, the... The solving environmental problem is often couched in sense of science, and yet there is a faith-based angle. And if we can bring those two together, I think we do better. I consider myself a religionist and an environmentalist, proudly both. I want to thank my, both of my guests, and I want to close by thanking many listeners. Tomorrow at noon is the end of a, of a multi-year journey for me a very painful journey that many of you are aware of um, in the criminal justice system. And tomorrow I get closure on that. I want to thank everyone who sent in good wishes and and, uh, prayers. And I I look forward to being together uh, for many moons to come, God willing. And I want to wish to all of our Jewish listeners a happy and sweet new year. May the inscribing in the book of life be uh, meaningful and real and as easy as possible, um, and may you have an easy fast, because we probably will not be speaking again before Yom Kippur. To all, Jewish or not, Happy New Year. God bless, and good night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue 